Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Imran. So, yeah, we are recording the day after Galatasaray game, which, Imran, you were at, right? I was there, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, That's three losses in a row I've seen at Old Trafford, as I did not go to the Palace League Cup game. Uh, Well, I was at the Palace League Cup game and I was at the Palace league game uh so yeah i've been part of that over there at least i guess i saw the one win in the middle of it all uh but look last time we recorded we were talking we were relatively happy i guess because we were what two wins that we'd had uh two clean sheets things were looking slightly up and i think we were saying we've got an easy run of games and we should hopefully be winning all of these that are coming up but yeah it's obviously not gone like that we will be talking about the galatasaray game we will be talking about the crystal palace league game we will also be having Natalie Burrell from the Manchester United Women's Supporters Club on to talk about the women's team and the WSL. But look, we unfortunately have to start with this Galatasaray match and, you know, that it comes on the back of a loss to Crystal Palace, which we will also talk about, just makes it even worse. I mean, look, we are now, there's no way of hiding now. We're now six losses out of ten in this season. Uh, We're only winning or losing. There's no draws in that, which is also Mm. kind of bizarre, 10 games into the season. There was a lot of narrative around this Galatasaray game, 30 years since we first played them in the Champions League. That's the infamous welcome to hell year. Uh, For those too young to remember, it's worth reading some of the articles that have been doing the rounds about that. But yeah, I do kind of remember watching that when we went out to Turkey. It was the first time Turkish clubs, I think, had made it into like Champions League that far. And I remember Eric Cantona saying he'd got kicked by Turkish policemen. There was like fans going crazy on well... uh, kind of anti-welcome but yeah you know things have changed I guess I mean I have been out to Galatasaray away I think I'm trying to say 2011-2012 and it wasn't as bad as those days but it is a famous kind of matchup then yeah we also had the manager uh, yesterday for Galatasaray was playing in those games 30 years ago Uh, so you know knows all about that history there and then yeah Wilfred Zaha every I think there was a thread on Red Cafe saying what minute will Wilfred Zaha score against us because I think everybody knew that this was one of those football inevitabilities and yeah all these things did happen unfortunately but look let's talk let's let's look at the game I mean 
It's a weird one yet again. Yet again, I go, how have we ended up losing this game? For large parts of it, I thought we played pretty well and just throw it all away with just absolute defensive fuck-ups, basically. Um, I mean, the thing with us is we, are, we, we play it all right until we don't play all right, and then we're absolutely terrible. Um, in, 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 I mean, I don't think we're ever amazing uh, or anything like that, but there's portions in games where you think, oh, we look all right here. Um, the first 20 minutes of the second half, I thought we looked really good. I thought Ericsson came on and really we upped our tempo. The passing was a lot crisper. We were, seemed to be creating chances, getting behind. Uh, we scored one um, great goal from Hoyland. We, uh, Rashford probably should have scored another. Uh, we had that disallowed goal as well um, for offside, marginally offside. So all that, you know, we had, we looking looking quite good. But then... It's just our centre is so soft. It feels like teams don't have to do that much to score against us at all. Uh, just show a tiny bit of quality and you're in and you'll score. And it's that's the big theme. We we can't defend. We're so easy to run through. Uh, Mr. Cutback made his usual appearance again for their second goal. And it's just, it's just too easy to score against us. And this is what I was saying uh, when we talked last time about the Bayern Munich game. And we say, yeah, we did all right and we hung in there. but. It feels like it just felt like if Bayern Munich wanted to score, they can score because any team we play against, bar Burnley, if, and even Burnley hit the post, like if you want, if you have a bit of quality about you and you want to score, you will score against us, and that is a problem. Yeah, there is a major issue uh, around the midfield. Uh, we know we still have some defensive injuries, although, yeah, players are back. It's still around the fullback area. Uh, we had a couple of people actually on Twitter who'd sent us messages. I think uh, shout outs to Conor O'Hare and Glynn, who are like regular listeners and often messaging us on the Twitter. And both are basically picking up saying they had an issue with the starting lineup. Uh, you know, Amrabat has come in as an emergency left back. Thought he did okay ish. Uh, on the weekend against Palace. But yeah, a lot of putting down one or if not two of the goals to him, basically. Um, I mean, look, there's no great options at the moment. We do have four fullbacks out, uh, you know, and there's still no particular news on Luke Shaw, on Malassia. Reguillon is also missing and um, Aaron Wambasaka. So yeah, I don't know what other options you go with. I think, yeah, at least both of them were saying that we should be playing Lindelof at left-back and Maguire or Evans should be coming into the centre-back. I mean, do you blame Ten Hag on this kind of lineup choices there? I blame him for starting Lindelof. Lindelof should not be starting this game. He shouldn't be starting any game at the moment. He's been absolutely dreadful this season. It goes under the radar because Lindelof does his usual Lindelof passive thing and doesn't really get involved in anything. Uh, he was so he all right at the out. end of last year. No, he, I thought he oh, did yeah, pretty well. Last year, when he decided to become an aggressive centre-back for a few months, then he was really good. But this season, he's been absolutely shit. And there's, there's no dressing it up. He's been absolutely terrible. On the ball, nothing. There's a pass map from his game against Palace where every single pass is a sideways pass about five yards, ten yards. No, nothing on the ball. Nothing. And then, actually, this game was a perfect encapsulation of Lindelof, time of Man United. Because the first half, he was all right. He was a bit more aggressive. He was actually looking to drive forward with the ball, pick passes. And actually, for 45 minutes, I thought, you know what, Lindelof, I slagged you off for the game saying you shouldn't start, but you know what, you've done all right. Second half, absolute shit. Usual Lindelof cowardness, not getting involved in stuff. I'll let people bully me. I'm not going to be that adventurous on the ball. And then you put, you put Amrabat down for two goals. I put Lindelof down for two goals, to be honest with you, as, as doing, worse than, uh, doing worse than Amrabat. That second goal, 
Amrabats get spinned, fair enough. People get spinned all the time. Lindelof has a man. He's close to a man who has the ball. What what any normal centre back with an ounce of knowledge or experience in the game knows, alright, my fullback's just been spinned there. The guy's running down the line. I need to bring this guy down so he can't play that ball. Lindelof, nah. I'll just let him do what he wants. He can turn, he can pass, no problem. And then we're stuck again because our midfielders don't know how to track runners. Third goal, oh yeah. Poor clears from Amrabat, whatever. Lindelof, no knowledge. No no thinking, oh, Amrabat's just cleared that ball, he's behind me. I'm going to try play a guy offside. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So he should not be starting games at all. If he wants to start a fullback, fair enough. But I, uh, I don't. Evans has played one game for us this season, and he was the man of the match in that game. Has he played again? No. And I don't know why. Because he literally cannot be worse than uh, Lindelof at the moment. And on top of that, Varane probably put in his worst game I think I've ever seen Varane play for us. He genuinely reminded me of Chris. I'd say he reminded me of Chris Smalling on the ball yesterday, but actually that would be an unfair comparison to Chris Smalling because Varane looked like he'd never touched a football before yesterday. Couldn't pass. His defending was poor. I think first goal he could probably clear, although I'd put it more on Dallow for just getting out-muscled by Zaha. But I feel like he could do something more with that, with that ball potentially, but also terrible. I just don't think they work together very well, Varane and Lindelof, to be honest with you. That's my random. Yeah, I think that could be it because obviously last year... When Lindelof did pretty well, he was who was he playing with most of the Martinez. time? Was he not with Varane? It was always, no, it was always oh, yeah. Martinez. Martinez. It was always Lindelof. Martinez because I feel Mike Martinez actually encourages the guy next to him to be more aggressive. Uh, also, when you play with Martinez, Lindelof can but play then right Martinez side. Martinez got injured at the end of the end of the year. Yeah, and then last we, season. I mean, we were poor after that. I'm just really. trying to remember how many they both kind of played together before. But you're right. Look, but I, I don't. I don't know. I think you're a bit harsh on Lindelof. That he's look, not harsh he's been bad. He not could have done enough. better. But I think if we're specifically blaming number one, is obviously a hundred percent on Diego Dallo. I can't really see how anyone else gets much blame for that. You know, it's a long punt down. He has so many things he can do. I mean, Zaha does get a bit lucky with the kind of way it bounces. Then there's like a deflection. There seems to be a lot of random deflections going against us. At the moment, but yeah, for that one for me, it's a hundred percent on Dallow. Uh, he's also getting a fair bit of stick. I know in our WhatsApp group, I think uh, David was giving him a lot of stick, and yeah, some of it is deserved. I think he's playing every game at the moment and it's not helping him at all, and that is part of the problem. Um, but yeah, for the other two goals, look, Lindelof on goal number two should do better. I think Amrabat playing out of position is the main issue on both of those goals, and it's where the kind of thing falls down. But yeah, it's difficult to blame sort of defensive midfielder who's just come into the club, thrown into an unfamiliar, unfamiliar position for being the one that, you know, needs to be dealing with this stuff. I mean, I do notice as well, even especially like when I was at the Palace game and, you know, when you're at the game, you see a bit more about where players are. Amrabat was often drifting kind of infield, but I guess that's normal for him. It's where he's normally playing. He's not a fullback at all. Um, yeah, I mean, I personally think that maybe Lindelof would have been better out at fullback. And you mentioned Evans, but surely Maguire at the moment is ahead of him in the pecking order. Uh, probably would have been Maguire if somebody else came. Either of them can't be can't, can't be any worse at the moment. Uh, and I think you're giving Lindelof way too much slack for that second goal because the thing is, he's part of a team. If you see your mate struggling, 
You take you do you take one for the team. You take one out, but Lindelof doesn't do take one for the team. He does. I'll no, you're sure right. I you're do. right. He can. He, he, you have to take that option. Yeah, and you know he goes in that kind of no man's land of like, oh, should I go to that player that's uh, gone round Amrabat, or shall I stick with my player and ends up doing neither? And like you say, that then just leaves us totally open to that cutback that happens against us every week at the moment, where there's a midfielder coming into our box totally unmarked, and yeah, he puts it in. You know, the other regular trait is us scoring and conceding just a few minutes after. Uh, I mean, I put this mostly down to players on the pitch and lack of kind of leadership and organisation is something that we've talked about for literally years on this podcast. Who is organising us on the field? Uh, or do you know, do you think this is more something that the manager needs to be dealing with? Both. There is obviously a problem. We switch off. We're, we're very easy to switch off, both when things go for us and when things go against us. Um, for instance, we conceded the penalty, which I'm sure we'll talk about. They missed the penalty. Great. How long after that did we concede? A couple of minutes? minutes. Yeah, like something goes for us and just uh, the mentality is not there. It's, we're not switched on enough. We're not clinical enough. We don't take games by the scruff of the neck when we get the chance. Um I think that's down to leadership on the pitch, which is weird because, you know, we have leaders on the pitch. We have, you have Varane, Casemiro. These are experienced players. Bruno's well, obviously, for that third goal, Casemiro yeah, well, was that, not there. And obviously. I think, you know, he but is he the been, one who organises all that. He has been there for times when we have conceded straight after the goal, so I'm not going to absolve him. But we've got experienced players. We should be... We, I mean, this is basic stuff. And I think Bruno, I mean, Bruno was awful yesterday. Like, one of the worst performances you will find from a footballer yesterday in Bruno. Could not do anything. He should have right. scored after a minute. He after should have, a minute, well, that, he should have scored. I mean, that was terrible. I don't think enough is made of how bad that was from him. Like that ball is coming. That's a, that's our cutback, and he should just. That's against us. Someone's lashing that in the net. He didn't even make contact with the ball. But the passing terrible. I mean, he was playing on the right wing, and the right wing is not for him at all. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I don't like seeing him but, out there. Uh, he just I, feels like peripheral to the game, and I don't know. I still yeah. don't think it absolves him though of that terrible problem. He's a Man United captain at the end of the day. Like, I mean, we get on Maguire all these years for being captain and being terrible. I mean, Bruno shouldn't be able to escape that same criticism just because he's not Harry Maguire. If you are terrible, you should be called out on it. And he was absolutely terrible. And yeah, he's not been great this season. Obviously, he had that incredible goal against Burnley. Fair enough. If he's going to do that every week and not be great, then I, you can accept that. But if he's not, if he's not contributing in that sense, it's not good enough. Probably deserves a tight spell at the side, but then pretty much everyone deserves a spell at the side at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I have seen, and there is a thread on Red Cafe at the moment, and it's specifically focusing on Bruno and Rashford and saying, you know, these two players, in theory and on paper, are supposed to be potentially our two biggest players, especially attacking-wise. Uh, and they're not doing it at the moment. And, you know, a lot of people are saying they're the problem and they're the ones who need to be dropped. Uh, you know, I mean, it was interesting against Crystal Palace in the league game where they obviously were rested. It's the game where we've had the easiest win. I mean, you can read a bit too much into that game because Palace had a pretty ropey side out that day. So, yeah, we can't compare directly. But, uh, you know, those two are getting a fair mm. bit of stick at the moment. I think... To be fair to Rashford, he's not had a great start of the season either, but he did get the assist. Let, I mean, look, let's talk about more positive things. And the most positive thing from yesterday is Hojland. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's a good assist from Rashford for that at least, right? Well, that's the thing with Rashford. Rashford's been poor this season. I mean, you can't escape Rashford being poor. But at the same time, 
he is at least always being a well not always but he's looked a danger and yesterday as well he was like well the time he was on the pitch he was pretty much all our dangerous stuff came from him on that left hand side trying to cut balls back taking on his man um it not coming off obviously he should have scored when Ericsson played that lovely ball through to him in the second half I don't know why he tried to square it actually actually to be fair squaring it wasn't a bad option it just it was a terrible pass from him if he played a better pass it kind of was a bit behind Bruno but he should have done it earlier but he should have I mean, well he should have done it, do it earlier. earlier but it should be a better pass it should be it more could have, it, should it be, could have it definitely it should, could have it should have been flat uh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind the option of looking for the guy to your left when you're going one on one I think that's a, a good thing that teams should do what City do all the time instead of going yourself I don't mind the option but you've got to, you've got to execute it better but in in, on the whole, Rashford at least looks dangerous at times, even though he's been terrible. But And then he got that assist, which was an, a fantastic assist, to be fair. In the ground, I thought he might have shot, but it obviously was a cross um, and a brilliant one and a great finish from Hoyland, who genuinely was the, the lone bright spark of yesterday. Um, I mean, he is fantastic. Um, if I, he, he was the one from the summer I said I, I wasn't worried about that one as much as the other signings because... Yeah, you pay a lot of money, but you pay a lot of money for strikers and stuff. Anyway, that's just how it works. And he's 19. But I mean, these first few games, until we beat out that enthusiasm out of him, until he becomes fully Man United, he looks great. Yeah, and I have to say, I was worried about Hoyland this summer. I said it on this podcast. You know, we didn't have much of a CV. He had more or less a good six months. Uh, but... Yeah, he's actually a much better player than I was expecting. I knew we were buying a lot of potential, but I thought it was going to take him a while to get settled, to get used to the Premier League. But he stepped straight in and looked good straight from the off. Uh, and there is some understanding with Rashford, even in their first game. I remember there was a couple of balls uh, from them. So, yeah, maybe not enough. And Rashford is starting to learn his runs and they're starting to get on the same wavelength. And I think that will be a good partnership eventually. But, yeah, he is much better player than I expected expected to be getting so quickly uh you know he's fast he's strong he can hold the ball up you saw with his second finish as well you know the composure to come from more or less the halfway line and finish that goal uh yeah yeah he, like i say he's a much more around strike so yeah some credit has to be given to whether our scouting network or whoever for you know making that call and paying that amount of money because a lot of people are questioning it uh as i said this summer people are saying you know if we're paying that much 70 for somebody who's so raw should we not be going for somebody more established and you know names are thrown out like ollie watkins and those kind of players but so i think some credit has to go to whether it's the scouting team whether it's eric ten Hag, whoever's made that decision because yeah he he looks like a proper star in the making uh i think rashford is low on confidence we talk about that ball where he squares to Bruno last season. He would never have squared that. He would have just gone for the shot and he would have scored. He would have scored that last season. No problem. He wouldn't even thought about squaring it. And because he's slightly low on confidence, because things haven't been going for him, that's why he went for that. And yeah, it was a mess up. Uh, but yeah, at least, as you say, he is getting in the positions. He is doing things. Whereas Bruno, there's just not much happening there in general. You know, he's not making those key passes. He's not... Yeah, normally last season he was like top of the list for chance creation I mean he's nowhere near it at the moment uh, I don't know if that captain's armband is weighing on him uh, I know he's now first time permanently captain but he has been it before so it shouldn't make that much of a difference but yeah there is definitely question marks about whether he deserves his place at the moment uh, I know you've given a lot of stick to Mason Mount saying he's not good enough but I thought he had a good game yesterday was very unlucky not to get his name on the scoring sheet yeah he was good 
I mean, he, he, uh, the thing with Mount, at least, you get a lot of running around, you get a lot of uh, effort and puts in the challenges, and that will always get you so far as well. So that's good to see. But he had at least three. He had three good sh- kind of shot chances. Couple of well, one was I think blocked by Hannibal. Unfortunately, one was yeah, one was blocked a by Hannibal. Great block. Um, he had that. Um, that there was a pass through what to Holland as save? well. Um, he had an outside yeah, yeah, yeah. pass through to Holland, which nearly. Holland nearly got it past the keeper. So, I mean, he was good. I thought probably on the night, our second best performer after Hoyland. Um So, I mean, that is encouraging, I guess. It still remains to be seen whether spending £55 million pounds on a player who was free next year was the right thing to do. But, you know, as far as so far, you'd say Mount, okay. Not amazing, but nothing's amazing at the moment, really. So, you know, it's hard to have that standard, I guess. Yeah, the biggest issue is about the kind of setup. You know, it's pretty clear. And again, in this match, we see the kind of way where Casemiro is put on his own kind of defensively and Hannibal and Mount are quite far in front of him. Uh, And that's what's just not working. And it's been quite clear that Ten Hag has tried for this kind of change of style to be more attacking, less defensive. And it is our biggest problem. I put most of our defensive issues down to this kind of tweaking system. Uh, it's yeah, too, Like I say, it's too easy. Casemiro's got too much to do and he's not managing to do it. I mean, add to that kind of fullbacks, first choice fullbacks missing. I think, you know, if we had Luke Shaw, if we had Aaron Wan-Bissaka, I don't think we'd been having as many problems because they can kind of help out more in that midfield area, whereas at the moment it's Amrabat in an unfamiliar role and Diago Dallo playing every week, which is not good for him. You know, I think he's a decent backup kind of right back, but he should, he's not good enough to be playing week in, week out for us. Uh, but yeah, for me, I put most of it down to this kind of attempt to change the system. And that's the question. I think we'll probably take a break here, but that will be my question to you for part two is, should Ten Hag go back to what we were doing last season that seemed to work pretty well? Or should he just stick with where he thinks we should be going in the future? Uh, So yeah, quick break there. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back for part two of the podcast, we are going through the incredibly disappointing night at Old Trafford last night, Galatasaray. We still haven't really touched on Crystal Palace. That was also even more disappointing, I'd say. I mean, yeah, no goals to lose 1-0 to Palace at home after a couple of good wins as well. Really just lost any momentum that we'd bought in at all. I mean, the Palace game can be summed up in about five minutes. We were terrible and... 
I know. I think there was a thread on the calf saying actually, you know, we were playing better after the Palace game because we had a lot of the ball and we were passing it. But I mean, Palace just let us have the ball. Their whole game plan was come get a goal and sit back and have the ball and we'll defend. And that's that's, that's exactly what they did. We didn't do anything with uh, the ball. Second, second half. Like look, I was at this Palace game. I unfortunately I took my daughter for her Old Trafford debut. She's been to some United women's games, but this was her Old Trafford debut. And I think she says she wants to stick to United women now. And uh, part three of this podcast will be all about Man United women when we get there. Um, but yeah, look, to lose 1-0 at home after we'd built some momentum. You know, that Palace goal, I'd say it's, I wouldn't call it a fluke, but you know, he smashes one in. It's a bit of like, part people are calling it a worldie, but it's also one that takes a horrible deflection at the last second as well. Otherwise, I think Onana is saving that one until last second deflection. Well, debatable. But, uh, well, debatable. Yeah, we haven't actually talked enough about Onana yet. He's still on the list as well. He's coming up. He's coming up. But I think Onana would have saved that if it hadn't taken that slight deflection. First half, we were poor against Palace. We, you know, we maybe deserved to be nil-nil, 1-1 maximum. We were not good. But second half, we were decent. We did have chances. We should have scored a goal. You know, our XG uh, showed that we should have scored at least one there. We actually had a higher XG than Aston Villa, who scored six goals on the weekend, which is absolutely mental um but yeah the, you know at the end of the day we didn't score it's one nil and yeah a lot of killer on the momentum and you know last season it was our home form that really got us to where we were our home form was absolutely amazing uh, you know we only lost to brighton uh, everything was good at home that was our fortress the away form was a problem but now that home form has absolutely gone out the window already i think okay so you i i i got our our um XG at about what was it 1.5 I think. Mm, well, no, 1.5 1.6. 1. Well, depending on where you go, one between 1.5 1.7. The problem is, it's just a that's an acute. I think it feel like it was more an accumulation of shots and half chances than actual. Did we create a, a, a very clear cut chance? Was there a chance in that game? He said, "Oh, he should have scored that." I don't think there was really. There was, I think there was a header at the a header at the near post from a corner maybe that. Someone could have done better with. But other than that, there was nothing. There was no big chance he said we should have scored then. The, our big thing to hold on to that game was we probably should have had a penalty for a handball, which, and I mean, we can't, you can't be relying on refs and VAR as we know at the moment. To, so if, 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 that's what, if that's what you're holding your hat on to, then it's not, it's not good enough. No, it still wasn't good enough. And at one point, six whatever xg against crystal palace at home is nothing to be getting excited about i was just saying i thought our second half did deserve minimum a draw out of this game but yeah that's not the way things are going for us you know anything where we need a bit of luck where we need a bit of run that is not happening um but as i say generally some of our play is good it's not absolutely awful and as i said to you look before the break though that was my question for you it's been quite clear that eric ten Hag has gone for a change of kind of setup especially in the midfield area this season and it's definitely not working so should he go back to what we were doing last season which kind of had somebody sitting a bit more defensively with casemiro and should he return to that bit more pragmatic style that got us the results and gave us a pretty decent season? Or shall he stick with what he thinks is the way forward for us? I mean, I ultimately, Ten Hag needs results right now. We can't keep going on losing. And if that means uh, a compromise of what he wants us to do... I mean, Ten Hag's shown last season that he's happy to compromise. And I think a compromise might be needed right now because we are too soft in the centre. We're too easy to 
score against. The cutbacks are killing us. We need a bit more solidarity in that midfield. And you'd think that would come with Amrabat and Casemiro next to each other. I really think, even though obviously we need to play Amrabat at left-back at the moment, we should just be playing someone else there. One of Evans, Why not play Evans at left-back? I don't know. Just someone else so that we can get back It'll to some sort of... It'll probably be Lindelof. It'll probably be Lindelof. But like, we need some sort of solidarity in that in the middle of that part because it's it's just it's too easy right now and uh, I know he's trying when Amrabat plays left back he comes in to do that inverted left back thing centre back thing but it doesn't it's not really working um, for a manager obviously you'd think yeah you should give him time to bed in what he wants to do but ultimately he's been here a season and he needs to sort it out now because we're struggling. So pragmatism needs to be the, the thing of the day. And he doesn't help himself at the moment, Ten Hag, with some of the decisions he's making. Some of the players he's picking, um, changes he's making in-game or even not making. Uh, he's not helping himself at the moment. He needs to, he needs to, yeah, he needs to sort it out. Well, there was that half-time substitution. Yeah, we go in, 1-1. One, one. Uh, Hannibal comes out. Ericsson comes in. It was confirmed post-match that this was a tactical tweak from Ten Hag. He thought we needed some more control in the midfield. Uh, some better kind of passing, and in a way, you'd say it worked. I thought we started oh, that definitely second worked. Off well. We went two-one up, and at that point, we should have won this game. We had to win this game at that point that we went two-one up. And you know, just before that as well, there was a goal ruled out for offside. We had other chances. Uh, we had to win this game. Of um, course, obviously, when Hannibal goes out, you do lose that kind of pressing, that energy, that defensive kind of side of it, which is what he brings in brilliantly. You know, he'll absolutely work his socks off. But he does lack kind of creativity compared to somebody like Ericsson. And I guess that was the difference. But at the same time, Ericsson lacks the legs. And it's why we end up giving away kind of goals in that area afterwards. Uh, So, yeah, you know, finding the balance is the problem. And I, I said on this podcast before, we've had a problem with exactly this. At least two managers before, uh, Louis, uh, Louis Van. I was going to say Louis Van Louis Van Hal. I'm getting mixed up with Ten Hags and Van Hals, but yeah, Louis Van Hal back then. Ole as well. They all started with pragmatic styles. They tried to change it up, and it did not go to plan at all. And of course, they both ended up getting set. Ole at least lasted two seasons, and it was only in his third season. But yeah, we've been here before. We've been here before. It's like deja vu. Mm. Uh, you know, managers come in, go a pragmatic style in the first season, kind of get some decent results, get us back in the Champions League, try and get more progressive in the second season, and the whole thing goes to shit, basically. Um, I personally think that when we have these injuries, that it's not the time to start changing up, that he should have just stuck with what was working for us last season and, you know, get, get those results out. And when you've got that full squad, when you've got all the options, then you can maybe start trying to evolve that style a bit. Uh, you know, it will be interesting to see where he goes from here. There is now, unfortunately, and there is going to be when you've lost six out of 10 matches, some people starting to call for Ten Hag to be fired. Uh, For me, that's way too early in the season. And there has been, there's a vote on Red Cafe at the moment. I was pleasantly happy to see that 75% of people are still backing the manager and saying, you know, it's way too early to be talking about that. I assume assume you're in that 75%. Yeah, definitely. Um... I, it's 
I mean, it is a. It, he's not completely absolved of blame or anything. Obviously, like things are going shit at the moment, and he has to take a lot of the, the blunt of that. Uh, there's other mitigating factors. The club is in the right state. Um, I was listening to Football Weekly, Guardian Football Weekly, and they made the point that lots of people are making. You know, if your organization is rotten from the top, whatever business you work at, if it has poor structure at the top of it, it's going to seep down. And people can say, oh, yeah, but these are players and managers, it's totally different. It's not separate. You know, if, if your organization is poorly looked after at the top, it's going to be poorly looked after at the bottom. It's just going to seep through. That's the culture. That's the culture of work, any workplace, your workplace, my workplace. It's set by work culture, and we have a poor culture at our, our work, our football club. So that's one thing. Uh, two, he has obviously got a lot of credit in the bank from last season, where we had a decent season overall, won a trophy, came third, got in Champions League, etc. So he's got that credit in the bank. Things have to improve. I feel like if we, if we continued losing games at this rate, then obviously there would have to be a moment where you have to think, hang on a minute, something has to change. And ultimately, unfortunately, I would rather change all the players than the manager at this point, to be honest with you, but that's not a, that's not a thing that can happen. So you might have to look at that then. But for, for now, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm behind Ten Hag, but he needs, to, he needs to sort himself out and he needs to sort this club out and he needs to, something needs to change. Yeah, look, I totally agree with you. There's so many off-field issues that are out of his control, not his fault. Mostly all point towards the Glazers, our owners. You know, we're now coming up to a year since the Glazers announced they were looking into options for selling the club, investment, whatever, and there's been absolutely no movement on it. And I think, you know, a lot of the problems go back to that. There has been a bit of news on that side where apparently Sir Jim Ratcliffe is now looking at coming in as some kind of minority owner, which is not going to help us in any way. And this just does not excite me in the slightest. We need the Glazers out. We need uh, a full kind of sale uh, one way or the other. We need a big change in what's going on at the top of the club to be seeing any changes back down. Uh, you know, but even with all that, it is still difficult to look at. Look, we did do well last season. Everybody was relatively happy. We've bought in we have improved the squad this summer. I know we has not as proved as much as we wanted and some of the business was done later than it should be. I mean, I know you in particular were not that happy with the transfer window. What did you give it? Four, four or five out of ten or something like that? You weren't three or three or four out of ten. Yeah, yeah, you weren't happy at all. I mean, I was a bit more content, but yeah, it definitely was not anywhere near the perfect. But you still have to say we did we have improved the squad in some ways from last season, and last season we did pretty well. I mean at the same time, of course, there's absolutely a ton of injuries in there. Fullback area at the moment is still a big problem. Um, but one thing that you have to put on Ten Hag, because it's quite clearly his choice, is Andre Onana coming in at goalkeeper position. Um, I think we were pretty unanimous in the podcast that David De Gea had to go, because I start seeing some people saying, you know, it was a mistake to get rid of him, but I don't agree with that in the slightest. Uh, but yeah, Onana is clearly Ten Hag's choice. Uh, you know, in the past, some managers might have pointed towards saying we didn't get the players we wanted. But it's pretty clear, of course, that Martinez, Anthony, um, Onana are obviously Ten Hag's choices because they're all players that he's bought, that he used to manage at um, Ajax. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's now you could one one mistake against Bayern Munich. He stood up. He took responsibility for it. You say, look, it can happen to a goalie. Stand up and get back on it. And there was then, you know, a couple of clean sheets. 
But yeah, there's no forgiving a second mistake in a big Champions League game. And it directly leads to us losing that match. Uh, you know, I know we were 2-2 and the match was still going. I still felt that we could win that game at that point. But as soon as he passes that ball, Casemiro comes in. You can say it's a rash challenge and maybe he doesn't need to do that. But, you know, it's panic stations. So you can't blame Casemiro for what he goes for there. Ends up getting sent off. And yeah, in the end, that is the moment that ends up losing this game for us. And he's backed him, obviously, in his post-match interview, Ten Hag. He said Onana is a good player. He he, well, he will back him. But yeah, at some point, I don't know, we're going to have to see our second goalie play. We thought we would hit happen in that Carabao Cup game, and it never did. Are you still expecting to see Onana in net on Saturday? Yeah, Onana will stay in net. I don't think you drop your keepers, unfortunately. Um, that's just how it works. Um, he has been poor. I don't think there's any getting around that. Um, I think, and we said this, um, I think I said this last time, you know, he was in City's net fine because you'd have to save shots, but we have to save shots. And currently his shot stopping has been ranged from anywhere between poor and abysmal. Um, even stuff, if there's a one-on-one, if a player's going through a one-on-one, Anana might as well just run to the corner flag and sit down because that's about as much resistance as he currently offers in net anyway when someone's running through one-on-one. Um, he has he's not pulled out any top draw saves really at the moment. Um, it does feel like every shot goes in. He's made a good for, for some good saves. He made some good saves against Bayern, but nothing that you wouldn't expect another keeper to make. Uh, so that's he has made. He did make a really good save against Burnley as well. Do he has made he some made, good saves. I mean, nothing that you wouldn't expect another keeper to make though. There's nothing that's blown your mind. Um, and the passing. I mean, the long passing. I'd say. Uh, Worst is pretty crap, and at best is inconsistent. It's it's nothing to write home about. His long his long passing. Um, I agree with you. There. I was expecting better. I was expecting a lot more balls that could get straight into Hoyland that would be getting Rashford on an attack. I was expecting yeah. him to be setting up attacks now and, and again. And he does find Hoyland, but they're not like it's not like flat and hard where like Hoyland has to like struggle to bring those down because they're those big loopy balls that aren't particularly great to deal with and just slow everything down. His big strength, and so he was sold as his big strength is his passing. I don't think that's his big strength at all. His big strength is that he's very calm on the ball. Like, if a player's running towards him, he doesn't fret, and he's like, he sorts his feet out and he can pass it. His feet are excellent, like, in terms of sorting himself out. His actual passing is okay. Like, it's nothing to write home about. He can pack a, pick a pass either side of him, 10 yards, great. Through the lines, not particularly. He doesn't p- particularly play through the lines very much. Uh, and when he does, like yesterday, that went wrong. Um, so that's it not. It was pa- the first time that he'd messed up a short yeah, pass, it is. to be fair. It is, but again, it is the first time. His short passes matches. generally, if you look, his short passes are generally are left and right. Left and right, or out to the, out to the fullback, out to Varane or Lindelof or Martinez, but left and right. Playing into midfield doesn't do very often. And at times, he's very slow on the ball. And you'll see, like yesterday, Casemiro, there's times where you think, all right, pass it straight away to Casemiro. No, he doesn't do it. Takes his time on the ball pose and then it slows everything down and so yeah great feet brilliant feet can sort his feet out really well passing eh okay nothing nothing not not this exceptional passer that i was i was promised and he he, again needs to improve needs to start picking those passes brilliantly the the problem is now he's tried to pass through the lines it didn't go well how's that going to affect his confidence we'll see but yeah it's not it's not been good so far 
yeah, I have to agree with that. But yeah, and I also think though that Bayendir, who was our second choice, I don't think I'm expecting much from him. I did think he'd get a run out in the Carabao Cup, but I don't think he's going to be our saviour. I think he was just literally, uh, you know, a body we bought in to fill a space is not challenging for that number one shirt at all. Uh, our next game up is Brentford on Saturday. And it's our, I think we're then into international break again. And, you know, I remember saying that, yeah, we've got these three matches getting up to international break and we should be looking for three wins or at least two wins and a draw. And obviously, yeah, we've had two losses. I mean, this Brentford, you don't want to say it, but it starts becoming kind of must win, basically, doesn't it? At the very least, must avoid losing. Well, no, it must win. I mean, I am I am disappointed that we didn't win these last two games. I thought I said it on the last part. I said nothing short of three wins in a row against these teams at home should be acceptable. It's not acceptable. Like we, There's nothing acceptable about these last two games at all. Uh, we have to beat Brentford. They're not in a good run of form at all either. Um, looking not great at the moment. We also look not great, so it's hard, it's hard to say, that, yeah, we should beat an out-of-form team because we're an out-of-form team. But we should be winning. We're at home to Brentford. That should be a win. Will it be a win? Who knows at this point. Uh, I'd be disappointed if it's not. I would... I'll be furious if certain players start that game. There needs to be repercussions. There needs to be some... Re- the problem is, we lose a game, and then... Who, all the play- who? who can't start this game? I don't think Lindelof should be starting, full stop. But um, then, who else is going to play left-back if Amber I don't, I don't, comes I don't, into I don't, midfield? I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Find someone. Uh, retrain someone all week. Put McTom- That's actually, yeah, one question I did see some people throw and say, don't we have anyone in the youth team? And, you know, do follow the youth, and we had a massive clear out of our youth team this summer. There's only a couple of them who've gone on loan. Alvaro Fernandez, unfortunately, went on loan, or he probably would be playing at the moment. Uh, Brandon Williams, too. They're, the, they're one of our two few loan players at the moment. Normally, we have about 10 players out on loan. But we sold a whole raft of players this summer. So many youth players are gone. So the youth players we have left are very young, very inexperienced, and nowhere near ready to be coming into this team. So anyone who's wondering, how come we don't have any youth full backs that's why we got rid of everybody and the only ones who might have been around are the likes of Brandon Williams and Alvaro Fernandez are currently out on loan there was even Urado he's also gone he's also gone so yeah and after that we don't have much on offer at all in the youth our youth team got beaten something like 8-1 by Bolton Wanderers mm. last week I think so yeah that tells you where our youth team's at well okay so we don't have any we don't have any fallbacks all right Lindelof play, play, play McTominay at right back Play, yeah, don't play Lindelof for centre-back, play him at right-back. But I, th- I just feel like we were poor against Palace and how many changes do we make? One. What kind of message does that send? We're poor against Galatasaray. It, how many it has we make? been what Ten Hag's done before. Even when we got absolutely hammered, yeah, we tended to send the same players and out. And we generally win the next game, but we haven't been doing that this season, so that's not working. So set some standards. You know, if you shit, All right, Lindelof, who else can't Who else? I think, can't honestly, I think Bruno should not be starting the next game. Um, you could argue Rashford. You think, but the captain. You think there's yeah, any chance I mean, he's going to drop his again, captain? Again, these standards. Where, where are the standards? Like these, but it's not. I'm not saying drop him forever. I'm saying drop him for one game. And if it doesn't go great, well, he didn't go great anyway. So you know. But I don't think he will. Um, you could argue Casemiro could come out for us, pal. He's been playing every single game. Varane, terrible. He could come out. Any of them. Just a bit of a. At least three. At least two or three. Even four changes would be appreciated. I think just to get some different bodies in there because. That is terrible, currently, what we've seen in the last two games. 
Yeah, you're right. And it's, especially since most of them have played two matches in a row, he can then kind of say, oh, I'm rotating for fitness and try and play it down. But yeah, I, I actually probably would actually give Marcus Rashford a rest just on a kind of rotational kind of thing. He's obviously low on confidence. He still is doing a lot of our good things, but I think give him a rest, uh, throw him out for the last 60 could do him actually good. Um, but yeah, I think Lindelof should go out to fullback. Let's bring in Maguire into centre-back and get Amrabat into the midfield where he should be playing, where he can help out Casemiro and make that difference in our biggest problem area. That is our biggest problem. It's around the defensive midfield where we're just letting players come out of our defence. And because we're lacking players due to injury, our defence is not up to it. So, yeah, that's personally what I would do. Uh, Let's see what happens. Uh, The third part of this podcast will be all about Manchester United women. I recorded it separately with Natalie Burrell. Um, So, yeah, I think myself and you, Imran, we're kind of going to say goodbye over here. And, yeah, that is the more positive stuff at the moment. I've said it a a lot last season. I said, when things are going badly, let's focus on Man United women. I think my daughter, like I said, on the weekend told me, you know what? Uh, why do we need to watch the men? Why can't we only watch the women? And I said, yeah, yeah, maybe there's a good point there. This might be the time to abandon the men's team and let's just focus on the women's team. Whereas more, I used to be, oh, you know, the men aren't doing great. Oh, I'll spend a bit of time watching the women. It might well be the time to move on completely. But yeah, the women's team have had a good start to the season. You will hear all about that on the other side of this break. And myself and Imran or whoever, we will see you back probably in the international break. So like I said, there's just that Brentford game to talk about. And then, yeah, we do have international break already again, which we never like. But yeah, it's coming up. Uh, and yeah, we will see you after that one. Yeah, cheers, guys. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back for part three of the podcast. I'm pleased to welcome Natalie Burrell from the Man United Women's Supporters Club. Hi there, Natalie. Hey, yeah. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, oh, you know, no I think it's a great time to focus yeah. on the women, seeing as the men have been so depressing lately. And, you know, the less we talk about the men's team, the better. So at least the women can give us something to look forward to. I mean, I know you watch both. So you're yeah. equally as disappointed about what's going on with the men's team. But, uh, you know, as an avid goer, look, as I say, Let's just get that men's team out of, the, out of our minds. Let's forget about them. Let's focus on the women because that's where the good stuff is happening yeah. around Manchester United. Let's get the positive stuff. I know you went to Villa Park. It was the opening day of the Women's Super League season on Sunday, first game of the season, delayed obviously because of the Women's World Cup, uh, where the Lionesses obviously did brilliantly to get to the World Cup final. Um, you know, after that, there was all this controversy about the Spanish team. And women's football has been in the news for all the wrong reasons. But look, Women's Super League is back. First game of the season. And it felt like 
the women's team are doing United things, you know, winning a match in Fergie time. And I mean, it must have been brilliant to be there. Was Villa Park full for this game? How full um, was it? The stand, um, so anyone who's been Villa Park, the main stand where the benches are, that was pretty much full. Like it's three tiers up uh, and that one was all full. And then uh, Villa, they opened the whole end for the home fans, you know, sort of home fans that probably didn't want to be mixed in. We was away fans. We was in the corner of the main stand and we was mixed in with other Villa fans, which there is now a new rule that they're saying they're going to start doing more away fans, you know, buying your tickets through your own club, like how you do with the men's. I'm all for that. I've always been all for that. We've, you know, our support club pushed for that um, main one. And now, what unfortunately, what Villa did is instead of sort of giving us our own block, our own section, uh-huh. Uh-huh. they sort of mixed us in with the home fans. So it was okay. United, but you know, you were sort of in the concourse with Villa. I mean, it's it's a women's football. It's not like fighting, you know. And even Man United and Villa is not going to be that kind of thing, even probably in the men's side. But it's not something that you want. But other than that, it was good. You know, the atmosphere was good. Villa went ahead. Anyone who watched the game saw it. Rachel Daly, like you said, the Lionesses. She's a top striker. She had the one chance. Um, it was actually... Did a, she? I mean, she was the top scorer in the yeah, WSL yeah, yeah. season. Uh, and yeah, starting away to Villa was yeah. a really hard start to the season because they're kind of, you know, the best of the rest, aren't they? We still have Chelsea, yeah. United, Arsenal, Man City. The teams are always fighting for the championship. But Villa are that kind of fifth team. They're trying to break... Yeah into that top kind of three or four mm-hmm. in the women's thing. And I know they've made a couple of good signings this summer. So, yeah, it was a difficult start. Yeah. Uh, we go behind 1-0, mm-hmm. Rachel Daly. But, yeah, they had a player sent off and they, uh, we were playing against 10 yeah. men for a fair yeah. chunk of the match, right? So, uh, yeah, Kirsty Hansen, ex-Man United, she went on loan last year to Villa and uh, this season Villa obviously decided to buy her and actually bought another pl- player from us, uh, Adriana Leon, who didn't get much game time last year. So, you know, mm-hmm. and even Ebony Salmon came on um, towards, you know, in the second half. So there's three ex-Reds playing for them. Um, and, you know, it's it was, like you said, it was sort of, the first half was really good for United because, you know, we didn't score. It went in nil-nil, but there was these chances and you could see the players and you could see players picking up the ball and running and, trying to get those connections. And I think, like you said at the start, with the, the, it being the World Cup and a lot of players coming back, having, you know, we've got two Spanish girls there. Obviously, I know Brazil got knocked out, but, you know, three Lionesses. So a lot of our players went deep in the World Cup and mm. then obviously had to go back on international break. And I know it's things that people want to see change in their women's game. But, you know, um, we see, you know, a lot of our players are coming together. Apparently, Mark said there was no, like, this is, they've only had a short five days together. And to see that togetherness, though, and a lot of these players haven't played or a lot of them are, you know, coming in, like I said, Jay's from Brazil, Gabby George, um, who's come from Everton, Hinata Mikizawa, who was the golden boot winner. She came on um, after it went 1-1 to United but you know it was good to see players new players coming in and you know we're going to see more new players sort of getting that chance and you know seeing that depth in our squad that we're able to bring on you know people from the World Cup Golden Boot yeah. from the World Cup it's really it just makes you happy you know because I think we've no yeah I mean there'd been a whole load I mean obviously we had big players left yeah, yeah. Russo left we know 
uh, we're not happy about, although Arsenal have not had a good start to the season, yeah. which is great to see. And then uh, on your badger, obviously mm. we lost as well. So big players went out, but the club, to be fair to them, have bought in some big names. Uh, two debutants started, right? It was Gabby George yeah. came in in the defence. And uh, up front is the Brazilian Geyser. Um, but yeah, look, we did go 1-0 down, even though it was 10 men. But yeah, as I said, they fought all the way. This team does not give up and came back. Yeah, a lovely goal from Garcia. And she, you know, she was kind of bit part player last season. And I think I'm expecting her to be a lot more involved this year. Yeah, definitely. I love Lucia Garcia. I think last year was sort of settling into league. I mean, she started the, the last season, but then she could be like hit and miss. But then she came on a lot of games and like changed the game for us. And so the fact that, yeah, like you're saying, um, she started this game, played the match, got a goal for me everywhere. She was just harrying those defenders, pushing players back, linking up. Um, you know, she's Spanish and I know Jace is, is learning English. So she played at Barcelona. So she's got that Spanish connection kind of women, even though she's Brazilian and I suppose Portuguese and Spanish, it's sort of similar, isn't it? I suppose. So it was, it was good to see that Garcia was everywhere and just having that impact. And, you know, you touched on something there, togetherness. We went 1-0 down and it wasn't like heads down, you know, oh God, we're going to lose this. It was, you know, let's get back into it. Let's do this. Bang, free kick, 1-1. And then from 1-1, I just, it was only going to be one winner, really. You know, yes, Villa had the chances, but... You know, it was inevitable that Man United won in the end for me. Yeah, it did feel it. It's like I say, it does seem like the women's team are more the one who are channeling that kind of Fergie time thing. You know, there was some late winners last season as well. Mm. It's not the first time as well. Uh, and yeah, Rachel Williams, who's our kind of super sub, uh, don't know, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, female yeah. version, who's come on. I know they said, uh, I think it's now five goals in a row she scored in the last 10 minutes the only player to be having that kind of record she's always coming off the bench and uh getting the goals yeah. for us and you know this is what people were worried about when Russo was leaving where are the goals going to come from uh but I mean I wasn't that worried because she didn't have the best season mm -hmm. for us last season at all you know Leah Galton scored as many goals as she did we bought in in fact correct me is it Geyser or Jaser how, how do you pronounce Jace. that Jace, Jace, Jace. Like that. all right yeah Yes, all right. So, yeah, she's our new Brazilian forward. Uh, she did start this game. And then, yeah, we have the likes of uh, Rachel Williams who can come off the bench. Old, experienced player, been around for many years. But, yeah, she knows what to do, even if she's there for five minutes, ten minutes. And yet again, comes in and gets uh, three points for us. So, yeah, absolutely brilliant start to the season. Um, and, yeah, our season is got a crazy start because, you know, next we've got Arsenal mm -hmm. at home. And then it's our first ever Champions League matches, right? Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, one of, I think it was the second most difficult draw we possibly could have got. Probably, yeah, Wolfsburg was the only other option. Yeah, so it is a crazy, crazy start to the season. Uh, I mean, I know you're an avid follower and away goer. Do we, do we get, are we going to get any of our fans out to Paris for the Yeah, Ireland? yeah. A, okay, lo a lot cool. of us have uh, booked flights already. And, you know, there's a bit of, who are we the tickets? I don't think Paris like 
um, the allocation, or I don't know. I think there's a bit of hoo-ha back and forth, but you know, yeah, because it's, it's to... brand new, I guess. You know, it's yeah, a brand new yeah. thing. We've never had a Euro away ever before yeah. for the women's team. I mean, yeah, I haven't done it myself for a long time. Back in my youth, I used to do a lot more Euro trips, yeah. uh, being out to various countries, and they are the best ones. Mm. So yeah, you know, whatever, win, lose, or draw, it'll be a great yeah. experience to go out. So how many? How many do you think you're expecting to go as United fans expect... to get out to Paris? It'll be tough. I don't know. I think I'm probably over exaggerating, but there there are people that come as well. It's not just you know there'll be people in Paris who are United fans. There'll be people yeah, probably in yeah. Spain who are United fans. Norway and everyone will travel. I hope there's about a thousand. I don't know oh, if there will be. be. I thought to but be honest, I thought you were going to say a couple of hundred or something like no, that. So no, no, I up hope to a thousand, there's about a thousand. Amazing. I mean, there was four thousand at Villa Park um, yeah, at the weekend. Okay. So you know. For me, then I think that translates to maybe, hopefully, about a thousand in Paris, and you know it's at the Parc de Paris, it's at the main stadium, so you know that everyone should be able to get a ticket. Should be no reasons if anyone's sort of listening from Paris or listening from anywhere in France, so they can travel there. You know, definitely come down, support, and yeah, get like on said, it. It's that passion, and they'll they'll fight till the end, and. You know, and you talked about Williams. I mean, that was one that I thought, oh, you know, I was a bit wary of her. But, yeah, she's come. She just knows a job, but she's happy to just come off the bench and score, you know. It's yeah, not kind yeah. of that kind of thing I have to play every week. I'm just, you know, everyone knows their roles. And if someone comes on, they seem to know what they're doing. And I think, there's, the, the, you know, this is a continuity that have been going on in the women's team for a long time. You know, we had Casey and now Mark's there. This is his third, third year, yeah. So I think yeah, Mark Skinner. The, the continuity that we have and the togetherness, it doesn't just happen to, tomorrow. This has been a project for like in its six year, six year. And that's why we're seeing these results. That's why we're seeing the never say die attitude and spirit, really, the Man United spirit, because it has been that, that core together for a long time. Yeah, and as I say, the spirit that is sadly lacking at the moment in the yeah, men's team, yeah. it is alive in the women's team. I mean, that was the worry this season, that after losing the likes of Ruzo, Bajia, you know, was that going to be like one step forward, two steps back? But even without these big players in, you know, they started on the bench, like you say, Miyazawa, uh, Guero coming in the Spanish. I think there's a French striker as well who came in on deadline yeah. day who's still, still to come into the squad. Melard, Melard. So she's Melard. played at Lyon and she's a four-time Champions League winner. So this is the level that they're bringing in. And like you say, I agree with what you said about Ruth. So she's a great player. We saw it she did in the Euros, saw it she did in the World Cup. But yeah, last year maybe... It didn't suit us as much. Maybe these Jace will suit us a lot better because I feel like she's a very upfront, in your face pressing strikers. And when you've got everyone else around you pressing, maybe that's what you sort of need. And she can definitely hit a ball. And then Mellard, I think she's, you know, well, we're not yet to see her. And hopefully we do see her in the next few games. But I'm really excited. And I've heard really good things. And that's the one to really look out for, maybe. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know the odds are going to be against us in this Euro game because obviously yeah. Paris Saint-Germain got more experience at this level. It's going to be the first European experience for us, first European experience for our manager. But it is good that he's brought in some of these names, uh, you know, French international, Spanish international players who've played all around, who've been in these kind of games and hopefully they can make that difference. Uh, but yeah, next up is actually Arsenal. It's the first home game. I mean, yeah, it's a shame actually that this one is wasn't at Old Trafford, but yeah. Uh, Lee Sports Village for that one. I know that's the derby, the women's derby is at Old Trafford in November. Is that the first game at Old Trafford? Or yeah, is there that's another the one? first one. Yeah. And then there's Everton as well. And then I think if they do get through to the 
Champions League, they're probably, you know, they could draw Barcelona and Leon. So I'm sure a lot of those games will probably be at Old Trafford. And, yeah, because that's it. This is the qualifier yeah. for the group yeah. stage, isn't it? Uh, so, yeah, we've got this double-headed qualifier. And as I said, Arsenal are out already. Russo went chasing trophies in Champions League yeah. football, but she's already out of the Champions League. She actually missed the penalty. I mean, you don't like to laugh about yeah. it, but yeah, it does seem... It wrote <laughs> itself, yeah. It wrote yeah, itself, the story you know. came over there. Uh, but yeah, look, let's see what our women can do over there. I mean, what is your expectation for this season? Last season was the best ever season for Manchester United women. A second place finish. Uh, FA Cup final. I was there with my daughter. We were very sad to lose, but brilliant atmosphere. A full Wembley. I remember just meeting somebody the other day and I said, oh, you know, I went to Wembley for the Women's Cup final. And he was like, oh, you know, how full was it? 50%? I was like, no, it was full. It was a sellout. And, you know, people are still surprised to hear that a Women's Cup final at Wembley would be a sellout. But yeah, it was. It was absolutely full there. I uh, did a few other games last season. You know, you were talking about the away sections. I was at Tottenham away. Yeah. And yeah, hoping to do quite a few more games this year uh, and try and get to Lee Sports Village a bit more as well. I mean, yeah, I know. Do you? I mean, I know you obviously have started as a fan of Manchester United men's team and have slowly mm-hmm. obviously been following the women. Just, do, you, do you feel now you're more a women's team or both of them? Or do you have a favourite or is it just... Manchester United in general? I mean, I love the club, obviously. I've loved it all my life. I'm 31 years old. I've always loved Man United. But I do feel like when the women's team started, it just it engulfed me because it, I just felt like the passion from them a lot more. I mean, they started when Josie was there and we obviously know about those seasons. And then, you know, Ollie's season, I was back there. I was still watching the men. And I do still go out and watch the men. I watch them versus Crystal Palace. I watch them Seville. Away last year, maybe I'm the jinx, you know. Hoping no, don't worry. I was there for Palace. Don't worry. I was there for Brighton. So don't worry. You're, yeah, you're, not, yeah. you're not the jinx. But, <laughs> you know, I do now go more to the women and I'm excited for the women. And, you know, I just feel a more connection. And that's maybe because I've been there from the first game. And, you know, like you said, seeing them getting better and better. And like you said, last year was the best season. And this year, I know people are like Russo, Ono, Bache. For me, Honor's the best in the world. Honor is a big loss, but we have, you know, Gabby George who's come in, Jade Riviere played in the World Cup for Canada. There are players there that, that you know, it'll be hard, but can replace. And like we said about the forwards. So for me, for the expectations of the women, I do expect them to go one better, whether that's in the league, in the cup. You know, uh, for me, uh, it's called the Conti Cup. So that's like the League Cup. That would be, that would just be fantastic, you know. For us, obviously. Yeah, we want a trophy. We want yeah. silverware now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, obviously, yeah. if we yeah. win the yeah. um, if we win the FA Cup and all this, but also I think if we beat Paris and get into like the the group stage of the Champions League, that'll be massive for us. Absolutely massive. Um, games will be live on the zone, so everyone can watch. Um, and I just think we need that. So I'd, I'd be happy if we did progress in the Champions League and maybe even a quarter final of the Champions League for the women. Who knows? But yeah, really well, I, as I say, look, I think even if we can just yeah. get into that group stage, it will be an achievement. Because, yeah. uh, you know, even though obviously we're a big name in football in general, we are still mm. a relatively new women's team, only five years in, first time going into Europe. So yeah, even just getting into that group yeah, stage definitely. would be an achievement. 
uh, as you say, after coming second, getting to a final, that is, we want to go one further. We want some silverware. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, this is the season to do it. And yeah, you know, I, to be honest, I started going to a lot of women's football to get my daughter into football. And she loves it. She's absolutely mm. loving it. You know, she kind of knows the players and whatever. And yeah, it's made me get more into it myself. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to go to more of those matches this season. Uh, yeah, look, let's see what we can do. It's the perfect start. Three points on the board already. As I say, it's a really hard games coming up now. Arsenal, Paris Saint-Germain. We will definitely get you back on, Natalie, to see where we're yeah, going definitely. with the women's season. Yeah, look, enjoy that trip out to Paris. As I say, <laughs> historic moment. Yeah. First ever Women's Champions League away day will be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll definitely want to hear your kind of report from there. And yeah, let's hope the men can start doing better because they can't do any worse. But yeah. in the meantime, we'll focus on the women because that's where all the good stuff is happening. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Natalie, and we will get you back again very soon. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to United Hour. Remember to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at United underscore Hour. Please take the time to leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. United Hour is brought to you by the Sports Social Network and our theme song is by Ancient Feelings. To get in touch, please email unitedhour at gmail.com. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.